It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Welcome to Earth 911's Sustainability in Your Ear. I'm Mitch Ratcliffe, your host, and we are back with another innovator interview, this time with a leader in rethinking our world for a post-carbon future. We're going to talk about retailing. Retailers, as we frequently heard on the show, are keystone influencers in the shape of a new sustainable economy. The choices retailers make when they stock their shelves determine the choices consumers have. Our guest today is Rowan Atwood. He is Senior Director of Sustainability at Tractor Supply Company, the largest rural lifestyle retailer in the country with 2,003 stores in 49 states, along with 178 pet cent stores. Their rural and suburban customers represent an important population to engage in the march towards sustainable practices and Tractor Supply Company's approach to stewardship of the lifestyle it refers to as life out here, could help forge important changes of habit in those communities. Tractor Supply Company has aligned its sustainability targets with the Paris goals of cutting its overall emissions by 50% before 2030, and they aim to be carbon neutral by 2040, which is a decade before most companies that have taken the time to set goals. I got to know Rowan during a conversation a couple of months back, and he and I was impressed with the thorough analysis that the company is doing of its operations and opportunities to reduce its environmental impact. So let's take a few minutes to, to discover what Tractor Supply Company is doing to help those who live out there make their lives more sustainable. You can learn more about Tractor Supply Company at www.tractorsupply.com. That's Tractor Supply with no space, no dash tractorsupply.com. Welcome to the show, Rowan. How are you? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having us. Well, you know, thank you for joining me. We had a, a couple of really interesting conversations about birdseed bags a couple of months back, and it led to a much broader conversation. Tractor Supply Company launched its stewardship program in 2008 with a focus on minimizing both its environmental impact and achieving improved diversity in the workforce and management teams. Why is the concept of stewardship critically important to your organization? What's it mean? Yeah, no, thank you for that. I love that question. Um, and when you think about who Tracker Supply is um, and, and, and who our shopper is, who our customer is, you know, your, your rural neighborhood farm and feed store, we have a responsibility to, to support people who are committed to preserving the life out here, right? Um, you know, our customers are working the land in different ways, you know, from, from backyards to acreage, perhaps. But one thing that we see consistently amongst everyone is this, the importance of stewardship and conservation, 
you know, for, for tractor supply, we want to be able to support that stewardship ambition and journey that the customer's on while also acting as the best corporate citizen that we can be and do our part to reduce our carbon footprint, our waste generation, and also conserve water in things like our pet wash stations or garden centers, but also by partnering with you know, organizations to train the next generation of agricultural business leaders and, and also implement conservation ecology projects those uh, in, in key priority regions. Those, all of these efforts kind of are, are can make up stewardship for us. And actually, I, I, I'm sure you're aware, but we just also recently released our sustainability report uh, in timing with Earth Day. And uh, we'll have more to share in the, month, the coming months to come. But uh, you know, stewardship really means for us that we're caring for the land and the animals that are with us on this journey, uh, both companion and farm. And it means we're, we're doing our part to support the people, the vocations and the communities where we operate. Does stewardship extend to restoration? in addition to simply reducing our impact. How do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think restoration is important and, and regenerative systems and regenerative agriculture is a lot of emerging science and research on the value of regenerative ag that's exciting and, uh, and inspiring. Um, but conservation ecology and you know how we interact with the, with the natural world is extremely important to us. And, and the Tractor Foundation, uh, Tractor Supply Foundation, that kind of uh, is uh, has been has been working on some efforts around conservation, sort of in parallel to our corporate efforts. Yeah, and and the other major thrust is around diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. We we think about the country as being relatively uniform, but when you get out there, you find it's not. What's the advantage? Um, for tractor supply company of having a, a more diverse workforce. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we certainly recognize the value of a, a diverse workforce. I mean, we've set a series of diversity goals that are purposeful and designed to ensure that our, our team members reflect the communities where we do business. And I've been really impressed with how our diversity, equity, and inclusion team has used the best of information technology, that specifically census data, to determine the cultural makeup of the surrounding communities of our stores and, you know, bringing together a culturally diverse team results in uh, a creative tractor supply organization. And so you reflect, reflect the, the customers that you are actually walking through the door as priorities because you're, you're at, you're, you're mapping your diversity and inclusion to what that local community looks like. That's a very granular approach. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, and it, it, it creates a, a valuable result, right? Like I think using data to help inform a DEI strategy and a goal is just, uh, it's an it's an evolution of the thinking. So, and and having that diversity in house within our organization just gives us those broad insights to solve problems and you know create solutions for the organization and our customer. Uh, let, let's turn to your sustainability goals, which I, as I noted in the introduction, are very aggressive. Was this timeline introduced by your new CEO who who? came from eBay by way of Home Depot and Macy's before joining Tractor Supply in 2020, or is, is this something that was already in place when he arrived? Um, it was uh, being baked in the works, but you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it is Hal Lawton, uh, our CEO has been an exemplary leader. Um, you know, he challenged us to think differently about uh, our, our goals and how we get there, uh, bold and innovative approaches, but also pragmatic and realistic on what's not just possible today, but you know, what do we need to do to pave a path for the future? You know, and I, I think we're, we're managing by the numbers, identifying discrete projects on how to achieve our targets. Um, carbon road mapping is, is iterative and, and regular discussion in our strategy sessions, but it's, it's also not just how, but it's a cadre of leadership that's all working to support these targets. Uh, Kurt Barton, our CFO, and 
Uh, Noni Ellison, our general counsel, are also champions of our ESG initiatives on a regular basis. But yeah, we're accelerating. You know, we're we're we're, we're plowing forward, and we're gonna um, we're gonna get it done. So in 2018, you began to reduce the carbon emissions per square foot of your facility. So you're taking the carbon intensity approach to reducing your emissions. You're focusing on how much carbon you have to produce to basically earn a buck. Now you want to get to 25% lower than 2018 by 2025. How's that going? And, and are there unique challenges that you didn't expect? Yeah, those goals actually, <laughs> this is our, some of our early goals um, that we're sunsetting because we've we've achieved it was, it was actually that goal is a good stepping stone for us as well as a good learning experience. It was actually a combined intensity level goal with a renewable energy goal, um, and we were able to exceed the 2018 goal through rec purchase and performing performing a major relamping initiative of stores uh, to LED technology. We went off of, uh, we went after some of the early opportunities to get some immediate progress, um, but that's also why we're resetting our base here to 2020 for our carbon goals. So how do you describe your, your sustainability goals today since you've you've moved the, the goal mark since you already got there? Yeah, it's, uh, it's changed so that we're focusing on the carbon emissions and not necessarily renewable energy credits or intensity. You know, I think moving towards absolute goals uh, better aligns with the climate goal best practice, investor expectation. Um, we know we have our work cut out for us, but we've developed a short, medium, and long-term goal. So for the short term, we're looking at a 20% reduction by 2025. Uh, we're looking for a 50% reduction by 2030, and we attempt to be net zero in our scope one and scope two. Uh, by 2040. So, um, you know, it's uh, there is a lot of work <laughs> ahead of us, but the company leadership is all in and understands the commitment that it's going to take to achieve our goals. Well, now you did mention that scope one and two, which is what most of us can measure because that's both our direct and, and immediately indirect, like sources of energy that we purchase um, emissions. But scope three is really a large issue for retailers in particular because you depend on companies in your supply chain, the people that manufacture and, and or, or grow the food that you're, you're selling in those seed bags, for instance. How are you addressing scope three at this time? Or is that still a work in progress as it is in many companies? Working with scope three and working in that scope three value chain is, is uh, a challenge that, that all manufacturers and retailers, retailers share. Um, but it's something that, you know, as we deepen into those vendor relationships, have these conversations, they too have their own goals, um, right. targets that they're trying to set. And by having that conversation about how can we improve, how can we do differently up and down the value chain is really sort of the uh, an important foundation to, to making that goal come to fruition. Um, and it's, you know, as you pointed out, it's not easy, but um, we're all in this journey together and, and we have to do it collectively in order to see the results that, that are necessary. So. so, you know, an individual company in your supply chain could characterize its scope one and two emissions and in effect, give you the basis for calculating your scope three emissions related to them. Do you see any movement in the logistics industry or in, in the supply chain generally toward surfacing that kind of emissions data so that we can pass that along to retailers like Tractor Supply or even to consumers so they could understand the totality of the carbon impact of a purchase. 
Yeah, it's a great question. And and vendors do share their data for sure. I mean, scope three, it's it's a math exercise that's not for the faint of heart. You know, when you <laughs> when you when you're deep into spreadsheets and you open spreadsheets of data that crash operating systems, you know that you're in the weeds, right? Um, right now, I'd say primarily our scope three data in the way that a lot of um, companies are are working with scope three data is we lived in a, a model state of, of scope three data using our our product portfolio and extrapolating embedded carbon of products using an economic input output data set to get it at value for upstream emissions. And also downstream impacts are, are something similar, estimating the useful life of products, the energy consumption, embedded carbon for the consumer of that product. But you're right that where we need to move towards is, is moving from model to measure. And how do we get to understanding yeah. the actual impacts of individual vendors? Uh, right now for us, I mean, transportation is, is it tends to be a smaller part of our total scope three, but I mean, hey, public disclosure of emissions is becoming more widely expected from a larger group of stakeholders and shareholders. And we ask for emissions data from our value chain partners regularly. So, and it's, it's, it's it, as you pointed out, it's essential for reporting, uh, for our reporting process. Yeah. Well, and, and how we tell that story, both to our suppliers and to our customers is going to change the way everybody thinks about the priorities that we've set. And, and until I think we have that dialogue about scope three and, and understanding the economy-wide impacts beyond averages is really where I think people are going to begin to feel we've, we've taken this seriously and started to really make changes. Let me ask you about your energy use because this is this is always a challenge. Your our, your your energy use has actually increased each year as you continue to reduce your overall impact. How's the company doing that? Is it primarily using um, renewable energy credits, uh, or is it literally reducing the reliance on fossil fuels? Yeah, yeah, um, you know. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, our footprint's growing as a growth company, you know, our store and distribution center footprint will continue to grow. Um, and, we, and we plan for that growth in our goals. Uh, and as we've developed our, our carbon reduction strategy, we need to be accountable for that future growth, right? So um, our carbon reduction goals include that growth while simultaneously addressing historic emissions. We've, we have a multi-pronged strategy for addressing those emissions and RECs are kind of like the training wheels to some degree. It's, it's, it's a market that's easy to tap into, doesn't require a lot of business activity and helps move the needle a, a little bit, right? Depending upon additionality and, and the RECs that you choose. But you know, the, the downside with RECs is that sometimes the additionality is marginal. Um, there's no greater substitute for operational action uh, because that is where real progress can be accelerated. And so uh, on, on all the carbon reduction strategies that we have, REX is, is, a, is a part of it, uh, will continue to be a part of it, but I, I do see that part um, becoming smaller over time as we ramp up our own operational improvements. So you have more than 2000 stores in your portfolio. How does Tractor Supply Company plan to use all of that roof space that you have all over the country to begin to use solar or maybe even wind? Are you looking at your own facilities as the basis of power generation? Absolutely. And I, and I love that question because, you know, when, when you start putting solar panels up on roofs, there's just a, a series of considerations of, of what, what makes that technology viable or not. Um, and you're right to, to, to think and, and open the aperture of what's possible on rooftops, right? Um, or even to build on top of that, you know, what are the available sustainable technologies that we can utilize to meet our, our 
decarbonization goals, improve the customer's experience, improve the built environment. You know, so obviously some of those considerations are, are technical with the, with the roof, right? Weight load capacities, roof construction, age of membranes, the panel and inverter technology specifically, but but considerations are also like legal feasibility based upon local and state regulations on interconnection. And like many retailers, you know, the relational considerations, you know, our store footprint requires us to partner with landlords, you know, for key decision-making of viability of site location for solar potential. Um, you know, I, you know, parapet wind is always exciting and interesting. I think there's always opportunities. What sustainable technology can we drive on rooftops or near those stores in order to, to reach those goals? Yeah. Do you think that we need uh, government incentives to drive retail toward the use of renewable from their facilities? That It seems almost like an obvious way for us to make a pretty substantial difference as a nation in our footprint. Absolutely. I mean, you know, government incentives, you know, tax credits, the investment tax credit related to solar is extremely valuable and helps drive demand for this activity. Um, there's a lot of value when uh, when there's an incentive structure in order to adopt these things. It makes some of the friction and some of those challenges and some of those considerations I mentioned, just uh, it, it makes it worth going through the process because it's a, it's a puzzle, right? We're trying to put together a very complex puzzle, puzzle uh, in order to achieve uh, an outcome that you know, collectively benefits all uh, by reducing our emissions. And we're all working that puzzle, you know, and, and as I looked at all the individual projects that are detailed in the sustainability report, Tractor Supply Company has Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Really taken a lot of effort to electrify its operations, electric forklifts, for example, and you've replaced older refrigerators and beverage coolers with efficient ones that also don't use ozone damaging hydrofluorocarbons as a coolant. Sounds like the kind of decisions we're making at home. Do I get an EV? Do I do this? How does Tractor Supply Company prioritize its investments in order to make the, the biggest environmental impact it can? What do, you, what do you look at as criteria for what do we spend on next as we electrify? Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, really nothing is out of bounds for consideration. You know, as we envision implementing additional sustainable tech into our building portfolio, I mean, first, it needs to be proven and viable. Um, you know, so we're considering everything from skylights, energy efficient HVAC, heat pumps, 
on a list of possible solutions in addition to additional LED lighting, outdoor LED lighting, more insulation building envelope. Um, you know, we touched on small scale wind where it's appropriate, but each technology needs to, to be independently evaluated. But then the most important thing is holistically evaluated. So buildings perform the way we design them um, and really identifying this, this op optimal investment that results in the greater energy efficiency and decarbonization that we're going after. So it goes through a series of different prioritizations from geography, from uh, viability of tech to, you know, uh, metric tons of CO2 equivalent gas reduction per dollar investment. You know, there's a, a series of, of tools that we use to get to, this is what we're going to go after today because it's going to be most effective. We're talking with Rowan Atwood. He's the Senior Director of Sustainability at Tractor Supply Company. We're going to be back in just a moment after we pay a few bills with this really annoying advertisement. And we're back. We're talking with Rowan Atwood. He is with Tractor Supply Company. And we were just talking about how Tractor Supply makes decisions about what to electrify next. So Rowan, as, as you look at the opportunity to use solar a lot of people are currently talking about the potential tariffs that the Department of Commerce wants to put on the importation of solar panels. Does that potentially threaten a plan that you have that as you look at your planning because the price of those uh, panels is going to go up? Well, I sure hope not. I mean, I think that there is, um, you know, there's, there's a wide series of considerations uh, when evaluating these solar projects. And, you know, if we, we kind of think think big picture around the, the history of solar, where solar has been and where it's going. And, you know, the cost has come down significantly over right. the years. Um, and the productivity has, there's been incremental progress on, on panel technology, optimizers, inverters, right? So it feels like the, the, the technology itself is maturing in a way where, you know, the, the investment and in the, in the rate of return is, 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 is better than it has been in the past. So, I mean, we want to continue to, to, um, to be able to take advantage and, and uh, of, of uh, renewable energy that's that's affordable and allow us to scale these on on site locations and throughout the United States, I think some of the other considerations or challenges, in addition to tariff, is you know the the investment tax credit. You know, as we talked about incentives earlier, you know that's set to expire um, and has a window and, and drops down to ten percent and. I think it is 2024. Um, so, you know, that has a, a direct implication to our adoption schedule. And so, you know, all of these things factor into it and it it makes it a big financial uh, uh, equation that we have to analyze and that we have to come to some conclusions on, is this the right fit for us, the right geography? Um, does it have the, the payback that we're looking for? Do we have the right partners? And, you know, just generally speaking, the supply chain constraints in, in the built environment right now are significant and it's no different in the solar market too. So, you know, I think that uh, there's a lot of hurdles to overcome. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I have an opinion on the tariff specifically, but I do know that uh, when sort of unpacking these, these, these projects like that, going through that process of understanding the implications to tax, accounting, to built environment, to the maintenance and operation schedule, to the inverter replacement at year 15, like all of those considerations need to, 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 to be part of the overall adoption curve of, of bringing in solar to an organization like Tractor. It's never going to be dull, this journey to sustainability. It's <laughs> going to right. involve a lot of trade-offs. So let me ask a, a question about the evolution of Tractor Supply Company. You started in 1938 as a, as a mail order company. Do you see 
tractor supply kind of pivoting back to being at the customer's home in some sense, more often than they visit the store in the long term, as we make this shift towards home delivery and sustainability? Yeah, great question. And a little bit of a history buff. You know, thank you for that. It's, it's right. You know, 1938, um, you know, was, uh, was when we began, but not shortly thereafter, we opened our first store in, in Minot, North Dakota. And today, you know, e-com means a lot to our customer because uh, it's, it's not always convenient to drive to the nearest shopping center if you're mm-hmm. living the life out here. Um, you know, we all experience a certain amount of time poverty, right, where it's just fundamentally challenging to, <laughs> to, to stop by and pick up the wares at a local retailer, but, you know, our customers can also, and and not all that different from a lot of retail, but our customers can also access a lot of additional products online. It might not be immediately available in store, but, you know, with COVID, we we did um, create this uh, online uh, and and locker shopping environment to minimize interaction. And and it's really successful tied to our, our phone app. And it's amazing you know, I don't know how many people have ever bought a welder <laughs> on a phone app and then, you know, driven up to a, a slot in the parking lot and, and simply notified the, it's the store attendees that you're there and, and right. they bring it out to you. They shout your name and the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're done and gone in three minutes. It's an actually an incredible system that we've developed. But I mean, internet access, it, it, it Online is absolutely part of our future and every retailer's future. And of course, internet access, though, it's, it's another issue and something that's yeah. important to tractor supply. We've been working to help close the digital divide in, in rural areas. There's some 14.5 million people that, that lack broadband, broadband connectivity, according to the FTC. And um, some groups estimate be closer to, to 40 million people when you take into consideration the affordability Right. of internet for households. So, you know, I think that it is an important part. Uh, we'll always keep the, the light on, to coin a phrase, and, 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 and keep the brick and mortar going. But absolutely, it's, it's essential for going forward. So are you also thinking about how to use your shipping and, and particularly shipping to home in a way to re- overall reduce your emissions? Are you consolidating packet or deliveries into uh, one delivery rather than three or four? What, what kind of strategies do you think about to lower the potential impact of e-commerce? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, we've honestly, I've been mostly focused on, on sort of our side of the business with, you know, right sizing containers and understanding, you know, our, our packing density. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have, our product is, is um, it's big and bulky, yeah. <laughs> generally speaking. And we've got lawn tractors and zero turn tractors that come on metal pallets, you know, that uh, require additional packaging. Um, so we've largely been focused on uh, this year, understanding our waste aversion, uh, okay. our footprint, how we're managing those materials um, in order to, to kind of get our house in order around mm-hmm. waste. And you're right, you know, e-com is, is obviously the, the a big challenge when you uh, get a box and there's all this airspace, you're thinking, well, this is inefficient. Now I got to break the box down and I got to take the box to the, you know, the local, you know, convenience site recycling center or whatever it might be. It's all of these things become, you know, challenges in in order to to get product to market. But, you know, I think it's, as we think through right-sizing containers, lightweighting uh, materials, choosing the right materials, you know, we did do an analysis looking at, you know, if we took everything from uh, a plastic mailer to a cardboard box, like what are the implications from a climate perspective? And it's interesting, it's, it's not always an easy cut and dry answer, right? Because as we start to increase weight, you actually increase fuel consumption on a vehicle and it becomes a complex 
sort of decision-making process that kind of uh, brings you right back to where you started. <laughs> so all that to be said, we need new solutions, additional solutions, and we just need to put more thought around it. Um, and not just us, but I mean, you know, e-com market in general. Well, and, and you're describing trade-offs and those trade-offs are always right. more complicated than anybody would ever want to acknowledge before they head into the decision. You know, since we had our first conversation uh, about birdseed bag recycling, and you just mentioned your waste diversion, tell us about the recycling programs at Tractor Supply Company. What you're yeah. recycling cardboard and 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 wooden pallets in the stores. Uh, you offer battery and oil recycling services. Do you imagine the store potentially being a, kind of a hub for customers to recycle more materials, in, including those seed bags? <laughs> I love it. Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I wish I had an easy answer for you, but the short answer is that we're, you know, we are exploring all the ways to, to minimize our operational waste footprint when it comes to being able to configure a solution. The customer is always top of mind. But the, the frustrating thing, and, and you must know this better than most, is that, that the waste issues will only be solved with a collective and somewhat simultaneous effort around new business models, mm -hmm. collection methods, and then really here's the big, the development of innovative products that incorporate recycled materials into that product, right? You know, um, packaging uh, is, is one of those things that, that where does it go end of life, right? As opposed to just the bail is not the end of the life. So, you know, it's coming, perhaps not fast enough. You know, we're currently evaluating working to develop, develop solutions to increase you know, current recycling rates for, for cardboard and plastics. But right now uh, we're in the middle of some, some, some of those waste characterization studies I've mentioned to, deter, to mm -hmm. determine our performance and diversion rates, but building some of the familiar, familiarity with what's required to get our sites to zero waste will only make us a stronger, more nimble sort of waste center and management that hopefully we'll be able to, to uh, will be our training wheels that we need before launching into sort of bigger, bigger circularity initiatives. But it's not easy because if we collect it, we got to send it somewhere, right? And we got to, we got to find a home for it and, and someone's got to be, you know, buying it or, or at least being cost neutral. And, and today we're not seeing all those available options. Well, that that's actually my next question then is, do you look at that, that, what we used to call waste as a potential revenue source. And, and does that really represent the catalyst for widespread adoption of recycling more by retailers? Yeah, I mean, I, I love the idea of, of turning our, our landfills into farms of available material, but even before they get to landfill, if we yeah. can start to recover those materials and treat them with the full value that they have, um, you know, and I think this conversation is going to really come to head as we start to see the electrification of things, right? We see more products become electrified. It will increasingly be important to recover valuable metals and batteries. Um, and, um, and, 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 and they're so valuable, so critical for the building of, of the next battery of the future. But, you know, it's, it's hard because all of the materials are, are important. You know, putting a prioritization to materials depends upon really that region and proximity to recycling markets. You know, the big picture priority is, is sort of organizing across sectors and sustainable business innovation to make those recycling markets viable, you know, and it's desperately needed, right? I mean, the statistics around plastic are, 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 are sad, you know? Yeah, abysmal would be a good way abysmal. to describe it. Uh, right. <laughs> the recent numbers were 5% of our plastic, which is a, a 40% decline over a couple of years. Right. Well, right. now, 
and Earth is working on this this question, trying to route more material to local. Earth nine one one is working to route more material to local processors because one of the elements of the recycling system right now is that stuff gets shipped sometimes thousands of miles before it's recycled. Do you see communities or at least regions or entrepreneurs within regions starting to step up and think about recycling some of those things that you would like to recycle that are really hard today? Like a bird bag, bird seed bag. Yeah, I think we're, we're starting to see just the early signs of that. Um, but we, we, we need to move beyond just, you know, a bright idea with a small company that's undercapitalized and um, is trying to change the world. And we need a collective group, right? Like, you know, circular economy only becomes possible when we have uh, a variety of actors operating in a space to drive progress. And today we're not necessarily seeing that level of activity. Um, and, but I do think that, you know, as as conversations like this mature, as individuals start to, to realize there's there's white space here in, in, in recycling markets and materials to, to drive some of these innovations, that it's, there's uh, there's real opportunity. And I think, you know, for me, and I think actually for Tractor too, it's like, it, it is about making more widgets out of recycled materials as, as, as a big motivation for, for better materials recovery, recovery. But also, you know, when we see waste in the environment, which is so visual and um, so challenging, you know, we know that we can be good stewards by having less waste ending up blowing onto farmer's field, eaten by wildlife or sitting on the side of the road. And, you know, at the same time we're solving for circularity, we can be solving for these critical conservation ecology issues. We need to, it's important. And that's what it means to, you know, to live the life out here. Well, and so to your point, if people are starting to recycle these harder to reuse materials or thinking about their companies, the manufacturing companies, not as a company that buys recycled material to make new products, but as a recycling company that makes new products, then you get to see the kind of focus and concentration on those materials at the local level that doesn't exist today. So it's really encouraging to hear you describe the kind of progress that you just did. How can our listeners follow along on Tractor Supply Company's sustainability efforts in particular, or just order some bird seed? <laughs> right. Well, we work hard to you know, communicate our efforts on, on the website. Um, on tractorsupply.com, there is, you drill down uh, under ESG initiatives, environmental social governance. You, you can get to uh, our most annual uh, recent report where we, we go in, in detail about these initiatives, um, both environmental, social, and sort of how we govern and with our policies and bring it all together um, from a reporting perspective. Um, so feel free to visit us, visit us there. And um, by all means, it's birdseed, but you know we got dogs, cats, and all the companion and farm animals you could think of. Uh, we'll feed them all. So yeah. Well, Rowan, thank you very much for taking some time to talk with us today. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure, Mitch. Thank you. We've been talking with Rowan Atwood. He's the Senior Director of Sustainability at Tractor Supply Company. And uh, we encourage you to check out Tractor Supply Company at Tractor Supply, no space, no dash, tractorsupply.com. You know, again, retailers are going to help reshape our, our entire world by making different choices about what to sell at their stores. And as we heard, there are a lot of trade-offs in the process of making those decisions between things like the amount of emissions that are generated by, by making and selling something as compared to the water savings that you might uh, create by making a different choice. Or in the case of Tractor Supply Company, the fertilizer that you use on your field or, or on your lawn 
can change the overall environmental impact of your home, but in different ways. So you have to choose what your priorities are. And until we have a broad-based set of information that we can use to make those decisions available to us as consumers, we're going to be relying on retailers to make more sustainable uh, inventory choices. And it sounds like Tractor Supply is doing a very good job of thinking that through. This is Earth 911, sustainability in your ear. I'm Mitch Ratcliffe, and we're going to be back soon, uh, probably without my barking dogs in the background. Uh, in the meantime, folks, I hope you'll take a few minutes to share this podcast and all the others that we've done with your friends and family, because we want more ideas out there so that there is less waste in the long run. We'll be back soon. In the meantime, folks, take care of yourself, take care of one another, and let's all take care of this beautiful planet of ours. Have a green day. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.